Welcome to the Fit Vegan Podcast, the show where we help you optimize your health, fitness, and mindset on a whole food plant-based lifestyle. My name is Maxim Siguain. I am a former triathlete, powerlifter, bodybuilder, and basketball player, and I've been vegan for over nine years. I'm also the founder and CEO of Fit Vegan Coaching, which has helped over 500 vegans from 20 different countries to completely transform their bodies and their health. I'm excited for you to hear today's episode. Let's get into the show. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fit Vegan Podcast. Today, I am joined by Paul Shapiro, who's the CEO of the Better Meat Co. and the author of the national bestseller, Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. He's a five-times TEDx speaker and the host of the Business for Good podcast. And in 2023, he was named the most admired CEO by the Sacramento Business Journal. Paul, how are you doing today, man? Maxime, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, of course. Very excited to kind of dive into... Uh, obviously your businesses, the work that you're doing, but I always like to give a little background story because no one ends up there without having a reason to. And so what, what brought you to the plant-based vegan space that made you want to start these companies? Uh, in, in short, a love of animals. So when I was a kid, Maxime, I really liked animals a lot, but to me, that really was like being a dog lover, right? I mm -hmm. thought animal lover, I thought I was an animal lover because I love my dogs. And I grew up in a household. We always had three or four rescue dogs. My mom worked at our local animal shelter. And this was something that, you know, I considered our dogs to be members of the family, right? They were not pieces yeah. of property. They were like my siblings. In fact, I probably loved them more than some of my biological family members at some times. Um, but when I turned 13, a friend of mine showed me a video about what happens to animals on factory farms and in slaughter plants. Now, keep in mind, this is like 1993, right? So there was no YouTube, no internet. This was like a, a VHS yeah. tape that, that he put into a VCR. And uh, for those of your listeners who are under a certain age, uh, a VHS was like a big rectangular piece of plastic that you put inside of a box that showed you videos. And you had and, to rewind it every time you wanted to watch a new movie. You yeah, had to rewatch yeah, yeah. a movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, in fact, if you rented them from you know Blockbuster or wherever, you would there would always be a sign on it that said "Be kind, please rewind." That was like yeah. you know always like you know something that is totally irrelevant to today's population. But for us, thirty years ago, it was a big deal. Yeah, um, it was always very annoying when you rented a, a VHS tape and it hadn't been rewound. You're like, yeah. what type of a jerk doesn't rewind? Uh, so anyway, the, the point is that I watched this video. And I saw my dogs in the video, you know, like I mm. saw chickens and pigs and cows hanging upside down in slaughter plants. I saw them locked inside of cages on factory farms. And mm -hmm. I thought, what if that happened to my dogs? And I knew there was nothing that I wouldn't do to stop that from happening to my dogs. And of course, um, my first reaction was, oh, we need to stop these people from doing this horrible things. And I realized like they were doing it for me, right? Like I was paying to buy meat or my parents were paying to buy meat for me at that time. And it became clear to me that if I didn't want that type of cruelty to befall my own dogs. I shouldn't want it for any animal. And so I became a vegetarian. Uh, and then I started writing to the animal protection groups, like snail mail letters, although we didn't call it snail mail at that time. It was just mail. And yeah. uh, I started writing to them and asking them to send me information about vegetarian eating. And they sent me back information about what I thought was pronounced vegan eating. And I was like, oh, what is this vegan? And it was like a couple of weeks had passed and I'd been a vegetarian. I was a very proud new vegetarian, had all the fervor of like this new convert. And, yeah. uh, and then I'm reading about these vegans and, and I, I thought, you know, 
that is not possible. Like I thought, you know, like it must be kind of like holding your breath, you know, like if you um, yeah. hold your breath, you, you can, you can hold your breath for a certain amount of time, but you do it too long, you'll die. And yeah. so I kind of thought, well, you know, being one of these vegans must be impossible. And then I started volunteering at local animal protection, nonprofit organizations. And I met these people who I learned were called vegans and they actually looked quite healthy. And many of them had been doing it for quite some time. And then I picked up a brochure and it had Carl Lewis. Now, Maxime, you probably know who Carl Lewis is. Others yeah. who weren't around back in the 90s might not know this, but he was kind of like the Usain Bolt or the Michael Phelps of that era, like the premier top Olympian in the world. And I worshipped Carl Lewis. Like he was, I posters of him in my bedroom. Like I really thought he was amazing. Um, and in this interview, Carl Lewis was talking about that the years that he was vegan were the years that he won the most gold medals. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, well, first of all, now you're telling me that not only can people survive, but the best athlete who I worship is also vegan. It's it's yeah. incredible. And so I decided this was a, you know, a few weeks now after going vegetarian that I would become vegan. And uh, 30 years later, I'm still doing it. And I, I was very pleased to see recently, I bought some silk soy milk and I saw that Carl Lewis was the uh, like the model on the front of the cart. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're they're marketing to middle-aged men like me, you know, because <laughs> uh, I don't think too many 20-year-olds know who Carl Lewis is. But uh, anyway, uh, the they point know their is, avatar. Yeah. right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, so anyway, Carlos is still around, you know, he's still he's on silk soy milk packages. So that's pretty cool. So anyway, that was... Um, you know, my origin of how I became vegan in the first place. And then I, I really devoted my life to this cause of how to stop the war on animals. And we are waging a war on animals. Um, it's yeah. an unprovoked war. It's a one-sided war, but we are waging a war of extermination on wild animals and of like just abject systematic cruelty on animals who we own, mainly in the form of chickens and pigs and cows and so on. Yeah. And so um, in high school, I started an animal protection club that became an organization. It was called Compassion Over Killing that eventually morphed into Animal Outlook. And, and I ran the organization for several years after college as well. Then I left and joined the Humane Society for about 13 years, where I uh, essentially acted as a lobbyist to try to pass laws to get farm animals better conditions. So banning mm -hmm. cages and crates for confining them. And then eventually I came to think that food technology and food innovation were going to do even more than what I was doing to yeah. help liberate animals. And so I wrote a book, as you mentioned, the book is called Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner in the World. And that book really chronicles the entrepreneurs, the investors, the scientists who are all racing to commercialize slaughter-free meat. And at yeah. the end of the book tour, I had a choice. I could continue writing about the people who I thought were going to solve this problem, or I could just become one of them. And that's when I decided to start the Better Meat Co., which is five and a half years ago. I'm happy to chat more about what we're doing, but that's basically my entire life in a few minutes for you there, Maxime. Well, that's beautiful. I got a few questions for you. Like, again, it might be a weird question, but who's your friend that was 13 renting <laughs> videotapes of animal <laughs> slaughter? Was he vegan too? Yeah. No, in fact, he did not show it to me in, in like an evangelical way, right? He wasn't showing it to me to say, oh, this is so horrible. So for people who were around back then, you may remember um, that there was like a popular genre of films like called Faces of Death. And Faces of Death were like these crazy videos that like teenage boys liked to watch. And it literally showed lots of people and animals dying. And it wasn't, you know, it was like, here's somebody's face while he's being executed. It was like, it was horrible to watch. You know, yeah. like here's somebody's face as he's hanging at the gallows. It was like really, really the type of stuff that induces nightmares. Um, yeah. And so my friend well, showed it to me like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Hey, that's right. And so my friend was showing it to me in that vein. It wasn't like he was like, oh, isn't it sad what they do to these animals? He was showing it to me as in like, dude, this is so sick. Look at this. This is incredible. Like, look what happens inside yeah. of slaughterhouses. My reaction, though, was like, how could we ever allow this type of violence and cruelty? Uh, like, I was in total shock. And I don't yeah. remember what I thought before that. I don't remember how I thought meat was made. I'm sure that I knew meat came from animals. But I just hadn't really thought about it. Um, yeah. so yeah. And sadly my friend never became vegetarian. I wish that he would have, but, uh, but at least he had this catalytic effect on me. Yeah. And ultimately you're helping thousands and thousands of people now with the work that you're doing. I do find you hear a lot of stories of like when someone goes vegan as a kid, that you just stay vegan. It's a lot easier. I feel to I say convert a child because they're more sensitive to seeing some of mm. those videos. You see so many videos on TikTok or Instagram where the kid's like, is this chicken? It's like, I don't want to eat this anymore. This is like the chicken we have in the backyard. But as yeah. adults, I feel like you've become so numb to it. So there's, I think there's something there in terms of like impact. That's why I like working with moms and dads. Cause then you just have mm. like a direct impact on the family. Yeah. So, you know, look, when you're a kid, obviously these are formative years. You're far more open to change than adults are. You don't have decades of inertia and habit that are ingrained in you when you're a kid. And I think also yeah. for a lot of kids, um, and I, I don't, I expect this is probably true for me as well. There is like a sense of wanting to rebel and this was like a way to do it, I think. So, you know, I, I think it would be, you know, it would be one thing to say, oh, I just did this selflessly for animals. I, I do think a lot of kids want to rebel. They want to be stick out, be different from the parents and so on. And this might be one way to do it. So, you know, I'm for whatever it takes to help animals. So if that's what, that's the motivation for kids, great. You know, that, that's wonderful. Uh, when we come to a place where vegetarianism is the norm, that won't be useful anymore. But uh, for yeah. now, like, you know, that, I think a lot of kids, do it as a as an act of rebellion honestly yeah and good we'll take it for now <laughs> at least it gets yeah, some turn yeah. in the right direction um i was yeah. looking at your website i love your missions page right of like the evolution of how we came to basically farm farming animals at that point do you mind kind of going over that for for the listeners and the whole again the whole logic and the progression of how we got to where we are Sure. So if you think about the history of humanity's meat consumption, which um, goes back to the very beginning of humanity, right? Like hu humans have eaten meat since the dawn of humanity. And our, you know, chimpanzees, our closest relatives, they also eat meat. All of the tribal cultures, indigenous cultures eat meat. Um, there's no getting around the fact that humans have eaten meat for a very long time, even in fact, before we became homo sapiens. And so this is something that's really ingrained in us. We really want to do it. This is why when poor cultures start escaping poverty and they start getting more money and having a more of a middle class, one of the very first things they do is add meat to their diet. So the yeah. nations on earth where meat demand is rising the fastest are in places like China and India, because lots of people are escaping poverty, which is obviously great. Uh, but mm -hmm. one of the side effects is that they eat a lot more meat. And yeah. so... It's very clear. People want to eat meat. Um, and so even the even the studies from animal advocacy groups show that, you know, generally eight or nine out of 10 people who become vegetarian stop being vegetarian. So mm. it's not so easy to do as, you know, you might as it might seem to somebody um, like you and you and myself who have been vegans for a long time. You know, we think of it as kind of second nature. But to a lot of people, there are a lot of social pressures and so on. And so now yeah. to answer your question directly, Maxime. 
if you think about going back to the dawn of humanity, the way that we ate meat was through hunting animals, right? Like we snuck up on animals and and killed them. There's some evidence that we were a scavenging species as well, that we basically scavenged off of the carcasses of uh, predators who had killed animals or scavenged off of the the prey animals who had been killed by predators. But there's also ample evidence that humans hunted hundreds of thousands of years ago in the form of cave paintings and and so many other pieces of evidence too. And so, so that's how we began. And then once we started domesticating animals many thousands of years ago, even as early as maybe like 10,000 years ago, we started domesticating animals to make them easier for us to kill. So we made them more docile, more dependent on us. And we started corralling them so they were easier for us to slaughter. Then you go to around like, you know, the um, early 20th century when we began factory farming animals, which is when instead of just domesticating animals and corralling them, we started locking them on factory farms. And this really sped up after World War II, where we industrialized our agricultural system, and we started having tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands, and now millions of animals on single properties. Uh, I've been in egg barns uh, where there's literally a million animals per barn. And Crazy. so the way the, the way you accomplish this is, of course, through extreme overcrowding, oftentimes locking animals in tiny cages where they can barely move their whole lives. And so what I believe is the best next step is not to try to revert to 19th century agricultural practices or meat consumption practices from 100,000 years ago. Rather, it's to take the next step and divorce the meat experience from animals altogether to allow humanity the ability to continue enjoying the experience of meat consumption, but in a way that doesn't harm animals. And that is far lighter on the planet and better for our health. And so that could come through plants, through plant-based meat, through eating, you know, peas and wheat and soy that are made to taste like plant, made to taste like animals. Uh, it could yeah. come through animal cell culture, where we grow actual animal cells but without the animals. And it can come from fungi making mycoproteins that do a really great job of mimicking the meat experience as well. It's kind of like clean energy. You know, you can make energy without fossil fuels in lots of ways. And do yeah. wind energy, solar energy, geothermal energy, nuclear energy, and so on. Well, the same is so with meat. You can recreate the meat experience in a number of ways that don't involve animals that are quite different from one another. And that's really what the body of my work is about promoting and advancing is these technologies that can satiate humanity's meat tooth, so to speak, without yeah. animals. Yeah. So let's talk about that so the better meat co obviously is going through your through the website you talk about microprotein which i guess is primarily what you guys are using are you guys also doing the lab grown mm-hmm. meat as well or just focusing on the microprotein no um so we do sell to some of the cultivated meat companies who are actually growing animal cells so they can combine our microproteins with their animal cells but we don't do animal cell culture what we're okay. doing is essentially taking microbial fungi um, and subject them to a very special kind of fermentation that within less than one single day transforms them into a whole food, unprocessed, high protein meat-like product that you can use as an ingredient in alternative meats and so on. So that's crazy. So through fermentation, it's basically increasing the protein content. Because that was my other question. Is it high in protein considering that it's like mushroom has some protein, but it's not really high in right. protein. So it's That's increasing right. the protein content through the fermentation process where you're able to achieve like a higher content of protein versus if you just like mash a bunch of mushrooms together. Um, so I'm going to, let's back up a second, Maxim, and, and talk about the fungi kingdom, if you don't mind, because I'm a huge yeah. fungi fan- fanatic. 
So 90% uh, of fungi species don't produce mushrooms. So oftentimes people think of fungi and mushroom as synonyms. They are not. F mushrooms are the fruiting body of a fungi. Um, okay. It's like the apple. It's like the apple on the tree, right? Um, yeah. But mycel mycelium is the root-like structure that goes underneath the ground. And mycelium is very different from mushrooms. In fact, again, most fungi species never produce mushrooms at all. Most fungi species, you can have mycelium without mushrooms ever. And so we're not getting mushrooms to be higher protein. What we're doing is growing mycelium that is in and of itself high protein already. Mm. And so the mycelium or the mycoprotein, this M-Y-C-O protein that we grow has more protein than eggs. It's a complete protein with all the amino acids. The, uh, the, PD cast score, the protein digested uh, digestibility adjusted score, which shows like how digestible something is, is higher than beef, has a better wow. PD cast score th than beef. And so we should think about fungi as very different from plants and very different from animals because they are not in the same kingdom. A lot of the times people think of fungi and plants as being very similar. Actually, fungi are far more similar, evolutionarily speaking, to animals than they are to plants. I mean, just think about it. Plants, you have to put in the sun and they photosynthesize and that's how they eat. Fungi don't do that. That's why they're not green. They don't photosynthesize. They, like animals, have to go out and find their food and digest it. That's how they eat. Um, yeah. Plants, you know, they breathe in CO2 and they breathe out oxygen. Well, fungi are so much more similar to us, to us animals, that they breathe in oxygen and they breathe out CO2. And so it's not surprising that the fungi kingdom offers far more meat-like textures to the so-called flesh of the fungi than plants do. That's why you have to do a lot to plants to make them taste like animals because you're traveling so far from one end of the evolutionary tree from plants all the way over to animals. But fungi, yeah. again, are way closer to the animal kingdom. And so in short, you start out with a much better place, far more meat-like, far high, far higher protein content. I mean, just on a dry weight basis, Maxine, think about like a chickpea, which maybe is around 20% protein if you're, if you're lucky. You get a good yeah. strain, like 20% 20, 20 protein. Whereas our mycoprotein on a dry weight basis is more than double that. It's almost about 50% wow. protein on a dry weight basis. And unlike the chickpea, it's a complete protein with all the amino acids. It also is higher in zinc than beef. It's higher in iron than beef. And it naturally contains and it naturally contains vitamin B12, which of course is absent typically from a plant-based diet. Now we're not supplementing with B12. That's just naturally in there as a product of the fermentation. So this is a true superfood. It is a whole food that's unprocessed that is more meat-like than the plant protein isolates that are used to make plant-based meat today. Now, I'm not knocking plant-based meat. I like plant-based meat. I eat it regularly, but this mm -hmm. is a better way. Creates a better texture in a less processed way. That's interesting. I, I did not I did not know all of that about, about fungi. And I did not know that you would have abs like absorbable sources of the B12, of iron and zinc within the microprotein. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I can't recommend mycoprotein enough. In fact, if you look at the studies that have been done on uh, mycoprotein, like muscle synthesis after workouts, highly advantageous um, and, and comparable to things like whey and egg white protein and so on. Okay, perfect. Well, I just to put into context, a lot of people that listen to this show um, are either thinking of transitioning or are already vegan and want to optimize what it is that are doing. A lot of our listeners are whole food plant based because a lot of my businesses are built around whole food plant base. Um, yeah. So where would that fall in that category for the microproteins? Yeah. I know the process is very simple, right? right? That I saw on your website. It's not like there's a bunch of 
processing or chemicals that goes into making it. No, it's a single ingredient that is a whole food. So let me start over uh, from how you make plant-based meat, just really briefly. You know, right now to make a Beyond Burger, which again, well, it's not whole foods plant-based. I'm not knocking them. I love the company. I, I like their products. I think their Beyond Steak is actually quite terrific. Um, all that said, you have to grow a field of peas, harvest that field of peas, mill it into a pea flour. That flour is very low in protein. So then you have to extract out the fat, extract out the fiber. So you concentrate that into like a pea protein powder that you might take as like a supplement as a post-workout um, supplement, right? So that yeah. pea protein powder is basically just, you know, peas that have been milled into a flour and had the fat and the fiber removed. So per gram, you have way more protein. Now yeah. that's now high protein, but it is not textured like animal meat. Obviously it's a powder. So then you yeah. got to subject it to something called twin screw extrusion, which is basically a fancy way of saying lots of pressure and lots of heat that changes the molecular structure of the protein to go from globular, which plant proteins are to stringy like animal proteins. Yeah. And then you get what's called textured pea protein, or it's like a TVP, a texturized vegetable protein. And this is a really cool technology. It's great, but it's a lot of processing. And so yeah. what we are doing is creating the meat-like texture simply through fermentation while keeping it a whole food. No extraction, no isolation, no extrusion, simply by fermentation alone. We can create a meat-like texture product in a whole food, all natural state. And the only thing that we do to it is chop it up and dry it. That's it. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. it's like the equivalent of buying chopped up dried mushrooms, except in, imagine the mushrooms are just much higher protein. Um, yeah. And we're doing it through through uh, mycelium. And how do you guys get them to look the way that they do? Because you have some great photos on your website. So how do you get them to look that way? Yeah, so we can basically... burgers don't look that good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we can take the mycoprotein and essentially... Um, <clears throat> form it into a patty in that particular case, if you want to make a burger, form mm -hmm. it into a patty. And it's very simple. You do things like adding vegetable juice to make it that color. You might add a little bit of oil to, uh, you know, like an unsaturated fat oil uh, to make it uh, a little bit juicier because the mycoprotein itself essentially has almost no fat in it at all. Yeah. Um, and, and then you can add some yeast extracts to impart different flavors that you want to add. So we don't sell the burgers. It's not like, we're, you know, we're a B2B ingredients company. We sell to food companies. You're not going to go out and yeah. find the better Miko on a store shelf. But what you are going to do is see us selling to other companies. And those companies can use our ingredients to make really great products. And so for the people listening that do want to try the product, what are companies that you guys are working with that they can go and kind of like try it out through yeah. them? Yeah, unfortunately, so I'm going to answer your question directly, Maxine, but unfortunately, we are still a small startup. You know, we've we got two dozen full-time employees. We have a pilot plant here in Sacramento, California. We are not producing millions of pounds so that we could, you know, go out and be in thousands of grocery stores. We want yeah. to do that. We need to raise the capital in order to build a much bigger factory. The factory yeah. we have allows us to do pilot plant stuff. So we put things in local restaurants in Northern California and so on. However... Okay. If, if you want to go out and get mycoprotein, which in, in any supermarket, there is one way to do it, and that's corn, Q-U-O-R-N. And yeah. corn is in most major supermarkets. They do have some products that are vegan. Some of them, they've added egg whites to the mycoprotein, but in, uh, they do have some vegan products, and they're very clearly labeled as vegan. And yeah. I buy the corn um, spicy chicken patties very frequently. They're really good. Um, and so they're made out of mycoprotein. 
And so okay. what I would recommend, yeah, what I would recommend is if you want to add more mycoprotein to your diet, really the way to do it at this time is to go buy the vegan corn products. Again, that's Q-U-O-R-N. And yeah. uh, in, in the future, uh, when the Better Meat Co. is at better scale, then you'll be able to get products with our ingredients too. We are not there yet, unfortunately. We're aiming to be. Okay. Yeah. Corn is very popular in the UK. I got a lot of that from my UK clients. Yeah. I actually um, was in the UK recently and I saw that um, on the KFC menu that really big on like advertised on the digital menu when you walk in is a corn vegan chicken patty that is marketed yes. for the same exact price as the conventional chicken patty. So, you know, corn in the UK is already on fast food menus at price parity with animal-based meat with something that is delicious. Uh, it's really good. Now, like, you know, if you're a whole foods plant-based person, you know, it's a deep fried patty, right? You're not going to go get it. But if you're going to KFC and you have a choice between getting fried chicken or fried mycoprotein, I'll tell you, get the mycoprotein. It's really good. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, I'm gonna give that a shot. I've heard about corn and I saw it in whole yeah. foods here because I'm, I'm in LA. So I'm just like South of oh, you. Oh, cool. Yeah, oh yeah, so. you, you can go. You can go get the vegan ones there. Go get the spicy chicken patties. They're really good. Another thing I like about them is that uh, they have a, they come in a cardboard box with no plastic, so there's no plastic bag or a liner or anything. It's just the patties in a cardboard box. So, um, you know, that's also favorable for other reasons too. Okay. Well, just now, selfish question. You mentioned a few restaurants in Sacramento around your area, so I do happen to go up there. We do have a bunch of clients up there. Yeah, any, oh, cool. any restaurant that you can like drop that we can like go and test out? Yeah, sure. So first of all, Maxime, if you're in Sacramento, come by the Better Miko. We want to do a special tasting just for you. Uh, but we put a steak on the menu at Bennett's, which is a steakhouse here in Sacramento. Um, in San Francisco, we make a microbial fungi foie gras that is sold at restaurants, like high-end restaurants. So one of them is called like Reve, which is R-E-V-E. Um, okay. And so those are a couple. Those are a couple options. Um, but we do a lot of things, and in fact, we're looking to put that foie gras on the menu in LA pretty soon. So stay tuned if you want to get a microbial fungi foie gras, uh, goose free. Very the ducks celebrate the goose. The geese and the ducks celebrate uh, this foie gras instead of lamenting it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because when I when I have business meetings, um, sometimes it's not always at a vegan restaurant. So you know the traditional business meetings, you go to a steakhouse, and I'm like, do you have like a block of tofu somewhere in the back <laughs> that you can like cook for me? So. That's yeah. great that I have that option. So I'm excited to see it in more in, in more restaurants. We're working on it. Uh, scale is the biggest issue for us. So uh, supply right now is greatly outstripped by demand um, at yeah. the Better Miko. Like the key for us is to raise the capital needed to build a much bigger factory so that we can start to scratch the surface of all the demand that we have. But our demand is is just uh, you know for better or worse through the roof. Whereas you know we only have one fermenter. So, you know, fermenter yeah. is like a farm, you know, imagine if you're, you know, you have a farm that's only one acre, you can only sell so much product, even if there's much more demand. So we need much bigger fermenters or much bigger farms, so to speak, in order to start really penetrating the mainstream with our mycoprotein ingredient. Okay. Are you guys publicly traded company or are you guys private? Nope. We're private, but we're in the midst of a financing round right now. So if somebody who listens wants to own a piece of the Better Meat Co., we'd love to hear from you. Just get in touch with us via the website. It's bettermeat.co. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, well, we can talk after after this podcast. Um, okay. Oh, it's so beautiful. So I was listening to Ritual's podcast when I was doing my research for you. So you tried, do you, do you try lab-grown meat? 
I have eaten it. I think it, you were yes. sharing about that, and you're like, it was like a weird dilemma of like, it's vegan, but it's <laughs> not vegan. It's like, can you share that experience? Yeah. Because I, um, someone was talking about it on Simon Hill, uh, and then on on Ritual and a bunch of podcasts, mm -hmm. and I was like, you know what? I don't know if I would eat it if it was yeah. steak, but it wasn't like a, an animal right. wasn't killed for. It. I was like, I just like it's this right. weird dilemma. Yeah. Well, the good news is that nobody cares whether you eat it, Maxine, because the point is not for vegans to eat it, right? It's for meat consumers to eat it. So uh, like nobody really cares. The purveyors of these products are not trying to market it to vegans. Um, yeah. So, you know, they don't want to take away market share from, you know, Beyond Meat or Impossible Foods or from the tofu manufacturers. Um, all of that said, the reason that I became vegan 30 years ago was to prevent animal cruelty. It's not yeah. because I am you know, have some spiritual problem, you know, with like e eating animals or something. It was just to prevent the suffering of animals. And yeah. as a result, when I have been confronted with the choice of whether to accept a free sample of cultivated meat, which again is real meat grown from animal cells for which animals were not slaughtered. Yeah, uh, I've done it. And I've done it one so I can write about the experience because I continue to write for newspapers and magazines about this particular field. And I'd like to be informed about these products by eating them. Um, yeah. But also because I have no ethical concern. There may be people who, um, who say something along the lines of what you just did, which is, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable eating it. And that's fine. No problem. Um, but there's no ethical reason not to eat it. And there may be other people who are listening who are saying, oh, well, it's not healthy, so I'm not going to eat it. And that's fine, too. If you think that meat is inherently unhealthy, that's fine. Um, what I have noticed, though, is that those same vegans don't really seem to have a problem when they see their you know, social media feeds filled with all the latest vegan donuts and vegan fried chicken and vegan yeah, so Kit they, Kats. Yeah. You know, nobody, nobody's complaining. They're all, oh, it's not healthy, right? They're just happy because yeah. it's a vegan Kit Kat. Um, yeah. And so I question whether that's really the motivation. I think that some people just have an, uh, a reflexive knee-jerk reaction against meat, and that's fine. I hope they remain vegetarian or vegan for the rest of their lives. Um, yeah. But for the nine out of 10 people who do eat meat, this is a really important way that they can do it without harming animals. And yeah. I don't think that the world is going to switch from eating meat to just enjoying lentil soups, you know, lentil soup and hummus wraps and, and rice and bean burgers. burgers. Yeah. Right. I'd be thrilled. That would be great. It would be much easier. Yeah. Uh, it would be much easier. Uh, sadly, all of the evidence suggests that that is not so, that people yeah. want meat. And we have to give them the experience. It would be kind of like saying, you know, I wish everybody would walk and bike places. Well, you know, that'd be great, but people want cars. Most people want yeah. to have a car. And so we need to make cars that don't rely on fossil fuels. Like that is the pathway. And so yeah. it, it's great. I mean, if somebody says, hey, I'm going to devote my life to trying to make cities more walkable and have bike lanes, that's, that's fantastic. Nobody's arguing against it. Yeah. But you shouldn't be knocking electric cars because that is part of the solution. And the same is so here. If, if yeah. you want to just tell people to eat lentil soup and rice and bean burritos, that's great. I, I, I love those foods myself. Um, but we need something for the for virtually all of humanity that wants to eat meat. And we got to divorce yeah. the meat experience from animals. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I agree with you on that, right? Again, my whole mission is to help people mm -hmm. eat more plant-based, right? If I get someone to eat 70, 80%, 90% more plant-based, that's a huge difference on their health. Oh, Oh, we, the world will be transformed if everybody did that. I'd go, I'd gladly give my life for for people to cut back on meat by seventy percent. Uh, that, that I would die very happy. Um, yeah. So you know, I always say like, look, if you start out with a meatless Monday, 
that's great. Applaud yourself. If you want to do something like what Mark Bittman, the cookbook writer, says, which is that he's vegan before 6 p.m. and after 6 p.m., he eats whatever he wants. That's another big step. Now you're cutting two-thirds of the meat out. Uh, or you can yeah. do what I do. Um, you can do what I do, which is vegan before 6 p.m. and vegan after 6 p.m. too. Uh, so, you know, that's another, that's another way best, to do the it. Best alternative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. So question for you on the, the microprotein. So because it is plant-based, I'm assuming that there's like no cholesterol in there. There's none of the stuff that you would typically find in meat because I forgot to cover that earlier. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to call it plant-based, I don't think it's that misleading, but it's not plants, it's fungi, right? So, you know, most yeah. people like, you know, if you go to a restaurant and they're serving a portobello sandwich and they call it plant-based, nobody's going to accuse them of false advertising, obviously, yeah, right? Yeah. But we but we all know a portobello mushroom is not a plant. It's, it's part of the fungi kingdom. It's a mushroom. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't know if I'd call it plant-based, but either way, yes, it has no cholesterol at all. Um, yeah. In fact, st studies show that eating microprotein can help reduce your total cholesterol because it's really high in fiber, great, greatly rich in beta glucans. So, um, you know, these are foods that can help reduce cholesterol uh, while getting a lot of protein. And as you know, um, you know, people, you know, protein is really important, is really important. Uh, but fiber is also really important. And yeah. most Americans are not most Americans are not deficient in protein. And nearly all Americans are deficient in fiber. Um, and our fiber standards are pretty low and people don't really hit it anyway. And so this is a good way where you can get the protein that you want, but also getting the fiber that you need. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited for people to check it out. I get, I, for everyone listening, I'll put all the link down below to, to his book, to the company, to your podcast, everything that you have in there. Um, Thank and you. then I'll get the list of some of the restaurant that you mentioned below. So people can check it out if they are in that area nice. and they want to try it out. I will definitely let you know. Uh, once okay. I come up north. Great. We're going to serve you a whole feast here, Maxine, when you get here. It'll be fun. Oh, beautiful. I'm excited to try that and, and document that because I document everything. Um, okay, great. Yeah. Come on by. Yeah, we'd love to have you. I, I, I think that you know my wife, Tony, as well. And so when uh, when you come up here, we'll have you over after you come to the Better Mika too. Perfect. We'll get a workout in. We'll get you that six-pack huh. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, I'm looking at you. I'm thinking like, God, this guy's uh, body fat must be like 10%, right? And I've been struggling. Like I weigh my up one of these scales. It tells me like all the data on you. And like, I, yeah. I weigh myself every day and I can't get below 14%. Like I'm at 14% body fat. And I do. I mean, I, I go lifting. I try to eat a high protein diet. Uh, but I, I, you know, I just, I, I would love to get a six pack. It would be a great achievement. I'm, I'm now like 44 years old. So it yeah. presumably a little bit more difficult than it was a couple of decades ago, but in Maxime, I trust. So if you have suggestions uh, that you think I should be uh, doing, I'll be all ears. I promise you. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's chat after the podcast. Cause the, the people okay. we typically work with is like 45 to 75. Um, okay. I've got people that are like, <laughs> 53, 60, getting six packs for the first time in their life. So it's doable, right? right? And, just with the right and, structure. And, and they're using TRT and HDH, right? They're, they're, yeah, they're <laughs> exactly. Just <laughs> right. a few needles. Not nah, just yeah, get whole, whole food plant-based exercise. It's just, it's a structure. It's, it's literally the same as building a business. If you don't have a good system to scale, the transformation is not going to work. So we have mm -hmm. a good system. We know how to be able to scale it and make it sustainable for yeah. you that you so, can maintain it. How much of the six pack is made in the gym versus made in the kitchen? Five percent in the gym, ninety-five percent in the in the kitchen. Wow! Wow! Okay, so this is you know really helpful. So just you know, what is it? Just that you got to do really high protein, or the certain foods you, you need to exclude. Like I, I do eat a pretty whole foods plant based diet, 
Um, yeah. Not not exclusively, but probably like 80, 85%, I would say. Yeah, which is great. Again, it's the yeah, common, but, it's a proportion well, of your protein in regards to the calories. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then there's a so journey I, to it. Yeah, I, I will say tofu is not a whole food. So I eat a lot of tofu. So I was thinking of tofu as a whole food, which it is not. So um, I eat a lot of tofu. Uh, so I might have reduced my 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 um my percentages there down a little bit because of that. Um, but yeah, so basically lower, lower calories, more protein. What percentage of my calories should be coming from protein? Do you think? Uh, it's a, it's a ratio per gram, not a percentage, because obviously okay. if you weigh a certain amount and you're certain high with a certain level of activity and we decrease your calories, mm -hmm. then your number of protein would go right. down. It actually needs to go up when you're going into deficit. Right. So you're, so I, I know I've read on, on your social media that, you know, don't consider a food proteinaceous unless it's like got the one to 10 rule, right? It's got to be 10% of the, of the, of the gram. Like if it's like, you know, five grams of protein, it should be maximum 50 calories. Yeah, approximately. But for the most part, right, we're looking around like mm -hmm. 1.6 gram per kg of body weight. That's a good place to start in terms right. of protein requirement. Right. Which so is I, I, like... I, I weigh 170, which I think is, was at like 70 something kilos. So 2.2 like... times 1.6, that's 124. Yeah grams of protein so a, per day just okay, pretty okay. easy to hit if you're consuming like again i do tofu i do tempeh um i do some edamame i do lentils and beans like those numbers are pretty easy to hit right. um, and you're and you're using protein powder also or no yeah i'll use some protein powder once a day okay. um flavor okay. the smoothie in terms of mm -hmm. so i'm in a cut right now so when you're okay. in a cut you have less calories to hit your amount of protein so you want to mm -hmm. use tools that are going to help you hit that amount of protein on a lower calorie knowing that yeah. it's not a forever thing because you're not going to be cutting forever right the goal is to lose mm -hmm. the weight and then speed up your metabolism after and then keep it off then you have more food then you don't need to rely on these things anymore it's just like a Got tool it. to the means yeah. for right. a short period of time yeah yeah okay um cool that's helpful thank you yeah, that's probably it's pro probably content your listeners are interested in as well i am interested too but i'm i'm glad to get this for everybody yeah, no, of course. I'm happy we recorded it. Um, and so I want to say, Paul, I always like to end on words of wisdom. Anything that you would like to share with your audience with, again, what you're working on and kind of what's coming in the future? Um, yeah, I would say the following. Um, the world is on fire, quite literally. Um, there's not a lot of time left. We know that fossil fuels and animal agriculture are helping to drive the climate crisis that we're facing. And so, of course, you know, people are concerned about their health. I'm concerned about my, about my health as well. Um, but we have to look at the crisis that we're facing and not fiddle while Rome burns. Um, mm -hmm. So my view is that if there is something that you could be doing to help avert the climate catastrophe, to try to help end the war on animals, to try to help slash humanity's reliance on animals for food, don't defer the good that you can do. Start today. So that doesn't mean just looking at yourself and what you consume. That's a good place to start. But I would suggest devote your life to this. And that doesn't mean abandoning your profession. Let's say you're an accountant. Well, there's these alternative protein companies need accountants. You know, let's say you're a video editor. They need videos, right? Um, yeah. I'm not saying, you know, whatever you're, you're, maybe you're an HR professional and they need that too. Um, but there's lots of ways that you can help get off the sidelines and get onto the field and start playing. And again, uh, you know, it's not a game. This is like, you know, we're ushering in a massive age of extinction for all these species who will no longer ever exist because of what we're doing today. And yeah. so this isn't something that I would suggest deferring until you're done with school or deferring until you've made more money and can go do this. Start today. The world needs you.
Absolutely. Well, that's a great message. And uh, again, it's cheaper to go vegan, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's a lot more affordable than if you're trying to consume meat, especially with how things are going right now. So it'll definitely yeah. save on the budget. Yeah, well, since you bring that up, Maxine, I'll, I'll just uh, tell you, like, you know, my, you know this, but for your listeners, so if you want to save money, go to plantbasedonabudget.com. That's my wife's website. Um, and she also has numerous cookbooks under that brand, Plant Based on a Budget and Plant Based on a Budget Quick and Easy. And they show, she'll show you how you can save the planet while also saving yourself a lot of money. Beautiful. I'll put that link in the below as well for the people listening if you're on cool. a podcast or YouTube. Um, I've been I've enhanced my status in our marriage by by dropping that plug. So I'm going to make sure that she knows I did that. Good brownie points. It's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Paul, thank you very much for taking the time to jump on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, I know the listeners got a lot from it. And for everyone listening, make sure you go check out all the links down below. And Paul, again, thank you very much once again. Maxime, it's my pleasure. I really admire what you're doing, and I'm grateful to you for all that you're uh, advancing on the plant-based front and the fungi-based front now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support, please share it with others that would benefit from it. Share it on social media and be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Maxim underscore official and on YouTube at FitVegan. The links will also be in the show notes. I'll see you in the next episode.